You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks, Lord, that you are freedom, you are peace, you are the hope, you are the healer. Father, we pray for the ministry workers on this campus today to share and show the love of Jesus Christ. We pray for the workers that we're empowering and encouraging outside of this campus today to share and to show the love of Jesus Christ. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, help me out, freedom. And so we thank you, Lord, for the freedom we find in you, Jesus Christ. Everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, we're in John chapter 11. We're going to wrap that up today. Uh, Looking forward to that. Uh, What I want to encourage you to do is uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up and we'll look there together. Um, John chapter 11, we're approaching... This dramatic scene where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It is the final public miracle of Jesus Christ. Uh, It is the most significant sign recorded in the life of Jesus Christ. It's considered a messianic miracle. Only the Messiah could perform such a miracle as this. Uh, Its occurrence is a divine placement. It happens right before the Passover. Its location is a testimony of God's sovereign purpose and plan. It happens in Bethany, which is a little town off the road of Jericho on the way to Jerusalem, where thousands and thousands and thousands of Jewish followers would be making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover and Word would break out about Jesus declaring and demonstrating he is God. Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead, and the buzz breaks out again. This miracle will spread like wildfire. It will have a a couple different results. One, it's going to strengthen the faith of the believers, uh, the disciples, uh, who will go on to live a a martyr. They will uh, die martyrs for their faith. Uh, They will be strengthened in seeing this miraculous event. Um, Two, it it will harden the hearts of the unbelievers. So much so that they will be enraged and set out to have Jesus killed. With incredible coordination and uh, collaborating together from the the Pharisees to the Sadducees to the religious sects against uh, Jesus Christ, they will all unite, set their differences aside to have Jesus crucified. This miracle will create that kind of controversy. It will also serve as a preview of the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. Probably about a week and a half later, Jesus himself will be resurrected. Uh, He will die on the cross, he will uh, be buried, and he will raise again. So, let's jump in. John chapter 11, uh, word has come to Jesus about Lazarus' death. He was on the Jordan River uh, in his respite. He receives word that his friend Lazarus is dead. And he takes two days before he decides to make a move, and then he heads towards Bethany. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, 
he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Uh, It took its time for him to get there. Verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Remember, there is a Passover in play. Their prep, people are coming in to get ready for this big festival. And Martha and Mary are pretty famous people. Uh, they have uh, earned a reputation. They're kind of the, the insiders to the disciples. They would, uh, their home was headquarters for Jesus and the dirty dozen. They were all with Jesus all the time. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they're all friends, very close. And so people are crowding into Mary and Martha's house and trying to console her and give her comfort. Verse 20, so Martha, so when Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went and she met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Let me pause real quick there. Martha's the busy Martha. You remember? Busy, busy Martha. Oh, Martha, Martha, you're troubled about many things. That's what Jesus said. Uh, Martha's the uh, go-getter. She's the activist. She's the take charge. She's probably the type A personality between the two sisters. And notice it says, Martha, when she heard, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated at the house. I, I don't know if Mary was disbelieving or what was going on. Mary thought maybe it's just a rumor. She's grieving. She doesn't want to get up and go. But Martha makes a move. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, and she finds him, and she says this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have, helped me out, died. It's almost putting the blame on Jesus. If you should have been here. She's upset. She's hurt. Um, she's confused. She knows that Jesus loved him. Um, she said that earlier. And she calls him Lord, acknowledging that he is Lord. But she's saying, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Uh, there's a country music song Chris Stapleton sings. Uh, he'll be part of the festivities today in the Super Bowl. And he says this in one of his songs, don't go looking for the reasons. Don't go asking Jesus why. We're not meant to know the answers. They belong to the by and by. There's some things that we don't understand why God does what he does, but he has divine prerogative. He can do whatever he wants to do. The Bible says our ways are not his ways. Amen? And so, this is going to serve for a good purpose, but Martha does not understand that. Continuing on, verse 22 says this, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And she's referring to a future promise uh, given from the prophetic scriptures concerning a final resurrection of all believers and receiving a new body, a physical resurrection, and that is true. But Jesus wasn't talking about something far off in the future. Jesus was talking about something that was going to happen today. And 
Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Uh, Jesus is bringing her to a place to answer the question, do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. This is an I am statement. He is declaring he's God in saying this. He is the source of all life. He's the source of all power. And he has absolute authority and ability. And he makes a promise for you and for me and for everybody else. And specifically, he made it there to Mary and to Martha and to all who would hear this and read these scriptures in the generations to come. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Some of you might feel old. You're not old because you live forever. You live for absolutely forever. When you hit a thousand or two thousand, then you can call yourself old. The Bible tells us that every person on the planet lives forever. You live in one or two places eventually. You'll either live in heaven with King Jesus and God the Father, or you'll live in hell with the father of lies, Satan. It's a conscious life. One is eternal punishment. One is eternal joy. Jesus makes a claim that Gandhi never made, Muhammad never made, Buddha never made. Nobody else made this claim. He's saying, if you believe in me, me, Jesus, you'll have eternal life. I'm going to give it to you because I am the resurrection and the life. Amen? These are powerful truths. This is Jesus declaring himself to be the resurrection and the life. This is unique among all other world religions. This is Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is the resurrection and the life. And he's about to prove it. Do you believe this? That is the mega theme of the Gospel of John. Believe, believe, believe. We've been in the Gospel of John more than a year and a half now. We're wrapping up chapter 11. Uh, we looked at the first uh, several years of the life of Christ in 11 chapters. And then in the closing chapters, the second half of the book, it slows down like in slow-mo. And we'll look at the last week of Jesus Christ. So here we go. Verse 27. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. She believes, she believes, she believes, but she's still troubled, and she doesn't understand why her brother is dead. Verse 28, uh, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, imagine this, Mary's probably crying in the corner, all the folks or family are around her. Martha comes up and probably whispers something like this, and Mary's here. The teacher is here. He's calling for you. That would be pretty amazing. Jesus is calling. And when she heard it, she rose quickly, and she went to him. Verse 30, now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her. So immediately they're following her. They're wondering what's going on. 
supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Verse 32, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. This is where you find Mary many times in the gospel. She's at the feet of Jesus. She's overwhelmed. She knows he's the Lord. Look what she says. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sounds very similar, doesn't it? It's an exact uh, repeat of Martha's anxious statement. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, in this moment, Martha, kind of her anxiety and sadness and disbelief kind of rubbed off on Mary. But she's human, like you and me. And people uh, can rub off on each other. And so here is verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who'd come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Uh, he was greatly troubled. There, there's a lot of different translations on that idea of greatly troubled. Uh, I, I think probably the best idea uh, for interpretation on that is that I think Jesus was greatly troubled because he saw the magnitude and the impact of sin, how it enters the world. And then the, the, the pain and anguish that it creates. Like for you as a believer, right? Even when you go to a memorial and you lose a loved one, you know that they're in heaven and you don't want the trite little, um, you know, saying of it's okay, it's going to be fine. You know, put your arm around them and somebody just tell you, don't worry about it. They're in heaven, happy in heaven. You know, you're just like, no, I'm hurt. I'm deeply hurt. They're gone. That's the pain of death. And because the Bible tells us that we were created in a sense like to live forever and then sin entered the world and it corrupted, infected, impacted, and influenced everything. And so we don't live forever. So there is sickness, there is suffering, there is all of this has happened. And I think perhaps Jesus is taking the totality of all this in and he's greatly troubled. So much so that he's emotionally engage. Verse 34, look what it says. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible. You could memorize it today. Help me out. Jesus, Jesus wept. That's the shortest verse in the Bible. Congratulations. Jesus wept. I ought to preach five sermons on those two words. It highlights so many different wonderful things for us. I think it shows that Jesus has compassion. I think it shows that Jesus has, um, is identifying with us. I think it shows that the power of emotion too, because everybody else was crying and he enters into that with empathy. He enters into that in their humanity and fragility. Um, for you, I mean, maybe just you, you've been there before, but if you ever, especially you ladies, maybe you've been there before when somebody's crying and then all of a sudden you look over and then like you're crying or somebody else is crying and it's like this contagious like crying thing going on. And uh, I, I don't like to admit it, but yes, there's been times like we go to a movie with a family and there's like a touching scene, you know, and I know everybody's crying that's sitting with me. And my wife oftentimes will kind of like peek her head out to look and see if I'm crying. And I'll, I'll look up and I'll look up for a second <laughs> to gain my breath just for a moment. But, you know, when you're around that, it, it has an impact. And Jesus is that. He is connected to the people Jesus 
wept. Verse 36, and this is interesting. So now the Jews are taking note about Jesus' love for uh, Lazarus. And two different uh, uh, Greek words were given for Jesus' love for Lazarus. One was agape. The other one was phileo. One means divine love. The other one means friendship love. So Jesus loved this guy, not just like with a divine love. I'm God, so I have to love you. Um, but a love like, man, I really love you as a friend. So Jesus had friends and Lazarus was one of them and he was uh, weeping over it. Verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved them. Uh, see how God loves you. Like, I, I, you're going to learn that today. God loves you a lot. And we can connect with Lazarus and relate to Lazarus in many ways. Verse 37, but some of them some of them said, could he not open the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? I mean, come on. If he's doing that, why can't he do this? Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, she's again, she's the assertive one. Watch this. Hey, time out. Bad idea. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't roll that stone back. Why? Martha, the sister of the dead man. Notice what John says. Not Lazarus anymore. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he's been dead for four days. In the King James Version, it says, uh, by this time he stinketh. He stinks. Um, been dead for four days. I was recently accused of telling a lot of stories about quail hunting. And the guy said this in an Eagle Scout ceremony. My son received Eagle uh, this last week. It was really incredible. And uh, the speaker got up. Gene Neal is part of this church. He's a scout master. And then said, if you've ever been to church, uh, four out of four, Ryan's talking about quail hunting. <laughs> and I was like, dang it, this weekend I'm talking about quail hunting. Uh, he's going to get me. So um, I'll tell you a quick story. So I went hunting one morning and I came back and I unloaded all my gear in the garage and I had a great morning. We got a lot of birds and harvested a lot of birds. By the way, ladies, this is organic food, just so you know. <laughs> so that's why I tell my wife, this is organic. This is organic as you get. So I get the garage, I'm there in the garage. My wife says, you need to get all the gear. You need to put it all up. You need to clean up. We have people coming over. I said, no problem. So I get all the gear, get all the dogs, get everything set up. And then we go about our weekend and it's a very busy weekend. And then Monday comes around and um, she's like, What's, there's a smell in, in the, uh, in the uh, closet, Ryan, and it smells pretty bad. Have you done your laundry? And I'm like, yeah, I've done my laundry. And she's like, something stinks in there. I'm like, well, it could be your laundry. <laughs> and she's like, no, it is not my laundry. I said, well, let's go do a sniff test. So I don't know if you've ever done that before. So guys definitely do it, right? You do the sniff test. That smells good. I'll put it on. And so I start sniffing through the, the closet. She's like, stop it, Ryan. And I start sniffing her clothes, start sniffing my clothes, trying to see what it is. And finally, I'm like, it's got to be your clothes. It's not my clothes. She goes in there and she looks through the, uh, the, the clothes rack and she sees that I've got one of my vests in the back. And she's like, it's coming out of the vest. And I'm like, well, what, what do you think that is? And she sticks her hand back there and she goes, there's a lot of stuff in here. It's the vest. 
Sure enough, I pulled the vest out. There was four or five quail in there. <laughs> Just kind of camped out for a few days. And uh, let me say this, the closet, it stinketh for sure. <laughs> so it was bad and she never lets me forget that. Lazarus was dead. I did some research on death and what a body looks like and smells like and is after four days. The heart stops beating, obviously. The body cells are deprived of oxygen. They begin to die. The body, the blood drains throughout the circulatory system and pools in low places. Muscles begin to stiffen in what is commonly known as, in Latin, rigor mortis. That sets in after three hours. By 24 hours, the body has lost all its heat. The muscles then lose their rigor mortis in 36 hours. And by 72 hours, rigor mortis is vanished. All stiffness is gone. The body is soft. Looking a little bit deeper as cells begin to die, bacteria go to work. And the body is filled with bacteria. The bacteria in the body of a dead person begins to attack, breaking the cells down. The decomposing tissues take on a horrific look and smell that emits green liquids by the 72nd hour. The tissues release hydrogen sulfide and methane as well as other gases. A horrible smell is emitted. Insects and animals will consume the parts of the body if they can get to it. That's Lazarus. That's where Lazarus is at. That's why a stone was rolled over that tomb. That's why Martha says, time out. This is completely inappropriate. Do not roll that tomb back. Do not roll that stone. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So it's a gamble. Roll that stone back and let's see what happens. Verse 41, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted his eyes and said, he prays out loud, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. His message is to strengthen the faith of the disciples more than anything. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! It's a command. He put a name on it because if he didn't, probably every dead person from miles and miles around, all around the world would have come out of a grave. He put a limit to the power. Verse 44, the man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, to them, unbind him and let him go. I would have loved to have been one of the volunteers standing by. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll go do that. Lazarus has experienced the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, the resurrection kind of power that stops the progress of decay, the kind of power that reverses rigor mortis, the kind of power that brings new life into rotted organs, starts a bloodless decomposing heart beating and pumps fresh blood into every organ, into every limb, the kind of power that creates a brand new body, the kind of power that creates blood out of nothing and makes it flow fast and fresh, the kind of resurrection power where the sightless decomposed eyes gives new tissue to every nerve and a new vision, the kind of resurrection power that takes non-functioning decomposed mass of brain tissue, recreates it so it can think, it can feel and move and speak, 
It's the resurrection power of Jesus. That is a messianic miracle. Nobody could do that miracle unless you were Messiah. And Jesus claimed he was the resurrection in the life. There is a... uh, Interesting note here, too, about how the body was prepared. The Jews would wrap uh, limbs and hands and legs. The Egyptians did it very different. They would empty the organs and then, uh, and then in, kind of infuse and uh, put in all sorts of chemicals and uh, different liquids that would preserve the body and then wrap them and mummify them. Uh, the Jews did it very different. Lazarus is awakened, dead and now alive, begins to walk out, come out, and then there's the command to go help him uh, to be unbound. Look what happens. Verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and seen what he did, believed in him. So now a lot of people are believing in him more and more. Verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees, these are folks that normally don't get along. Now all of a sudden they get along. Chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council. They form a council. You know that's bad when that happens. What are we to do? This isn't good. It's Passover season. A lot of money coming into our temple this next week. For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. We'll lose our positions. We'll lose our job. Everybody's going to follow Jesus. But one of them, verse 49, one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. He's pretty arrogant. Verse 50, Nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And so honestly, that's like a prophecy. Very interesting. God can use anybody. Verse 51, John points that out. He did not say this on his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one, into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. That's actually a reference to the church. Uh, John is writing that. It's a reference to Jesus' death will serve as a substitutionary atonement for all who believe in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 53. So from that day, they made plans to put him to, help me out, death. Jesus is on Jerusalem's most wanted posters all around town. Uh, there is a warrant out for him. He is, uh, there's an award to get him killed. Get him crucified. Verse 54, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went on from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Verse 55, now here's time frame. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. This is the Passover where the Lord will celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is now beginning to enter into the last week of Jesus Christ. And many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Jesus does a resurrection uh, right before the Passover, and there'll be a resurrection within a week and a half, and that resurrection will be Jesus himself. Verse 56, uh, they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Verse 57, now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone... Uh, were 
knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. There's three things I want to point out to you. Uh, Jesus is the resurrection and life. Number one, Jesus clearly declared and demonstrated that he was God. Uh, very clearly, he has done that. He's performed, uh, John records seven signs. In John 2, he turned water to wine. Uh, John uh, 4, he healed the official son. John 5, he healed an invalid. John 6, he fed the multitude. Um, John John 6, he walked on water. John 9, he healed a man born blind. John 11, he raises Lazarus to the, from the dead. It's the greatest miracle of all the seven signs is this one. It's the messianic miracle. It's the greatest one. He's clearly declared that he is God too. He said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Later, he'll say, I am the way. I'm the truth. And the life later, he will say, I am the true vine. Jesus is clearly declared. He's God. He's clearly demonstrated. He's God. Jesus is God. Amen. Amen. I want to show you a video of a man that we interviewed. And it's very interesting when you ask the question, who is Jesus? You get all sorts of responses. And from the most educated people out of our wonderful universities around the country, there was a bit of sarcasm in that, uh, they will not be able to answer who Jesus is. But sometimes of the lowest of the low can clearly respond and tell you who Jesus is. Check this out. Eric, I'm from North, North Valley, uh, Phoenix area, and we're doing a study on who Jesus is. Can you, can you describe Jesus for me? Oh, I know what Jesus is. He got beard, I mean, he's God. <laughs> yeah, amen. Yeah, that's what I, you know. Who is he to you personally? Uh, he's my only hope. Amen. You know, you know, I've gone to colon cancer, I beat it without medicine, my medicine's up there. Hallelujah. And, and I beat cancer, colon yeah. cancer. Yeah. But I've had three heart attacks this past year. Really? Yes. Uh, yeah. Especially yeah. just passed, I had three heart attacks. I'm still here. Yeah. Amen. God's not ready for me yet. That's right. Yeah. You know, and I believe that's him that's keeping me alive. So I got a job to do. You got a purpose out there. Yeah, I have a purpose, you know, a purpose, you know. Yeah. And I talked about God and Jesus to everybody that, that I meet, you know, and, because he's, he's really anybody's hope, whether they believe him or not, but he's the only hope for, any, for everybody. Amen. Whether you believe in him or not. Whether you believe in him or not, amen. He got it right. Number one, I told you Jesus declared and demonstrated he was God. Number two, I think there's something, a lesson for us. We're, we're like Lazarus in the story. Uh, like Lazarus, we were dead. Uh, absolutely helpless, hopeless, dead, dead, dead. The Bible says that we're born into sin and we're spiritually dead. We're separated from God. We're separated from the love of God, the life of God. We, like Lazarus, we were dead. That's what the Bible says. But here's what Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. That's, what ha that's where we're at, apart from Jesus Christ. We're dead. We're lost. Humanity is lost. There is no hope. There is no healing. Uh, e eternally speaking, we are spiritually dead. We've all trespassed. We've crossed boundaries of God's holiness, God's goodness, God's justness. We've all sinned. We've all missed the mark, every single one of us. And we're spiritually dead. Number three, like Lazarus, we need we needed to be raised to have life. You can't have life unless God raises you up. 
this is what's symbolized in baptism. Uh, we'll be doing baptisms uh, most likely after this service and in the weeks to come. Uh, but this is symbolized in that. The old is gone, the new has come. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says this, God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. Amen? So this is a biblical truth that you're dead and then God intervenes and he saves your life and you are resurrected to a new life with Christ. That is the story of our salvation question is, is what's the story of our sanctification? How do we live the new life? Here it is. If, uh, number one, I'd say you take off the old. You take off the old. The scripture says, the apostle Paul says it like this, put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. It's corrupt through deceitful desires. Uh, all of us have an old self. If we're uh, believers, there's kind of the old nature and we fight the old nature and the new nature. Um, I've got an old jacket right here in an Uggs bag. This is not my bag. This is my daughter's bag. Um, I leave this jacket in my truck. It's an old truck. It's an old uh, coat and I, I use it in case I forget to have a jacket with me. You can see it's got fancy duct tape on it because it's got holes in it. And it's just an old coat, and there's an, actually a nasty Kleenex in it. <laughs> Good thing it wasn't quail guts. Um, but it's the old, and the Bible tells us that we're to take off the old, and that he's given us a new life in Jesus Christ, and we don't need to keep this on. There's an old self, and there's a new self as a believer in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says, put on the new self created after the likeness of God and the true righteousness in holiness. It's a life called to holiness. Look what it says, uh, put on the new. So you're to put on the new created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You need to put on the new. You need to put on a, a new uh, mindset. You need to, uh, the Bible tells us that we are to renew our minds. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. You put on the new mindset every single day. You thank the Lord for everything that's happening in your life. If you don't, guess what's going to happen? All you're going to do is focus on the problems, your weakness. But God gave you a great position. You are a son, a daughter of the high king of heaven. You are loved. You are chosen. You are appointed. You are anointed. God has called you. He's planned you, purposed you, predestined you. That is you, the believer. You live forever. You have immortality, not mortality. You will live forever. You are called by God as an amb ambassador of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you're the light of the whole world. That is understanding the new self. But what do we do? We put on the, new, the old self. I'm not a light. I'm in the darkness. I'm not a child. I'm just a runt, orphaned kid. I'm not loved by God. I'm unlovable. I'm not worthy. I'm unworthy. I'm not faithful. I'm always unfaithful. There's nothing that I have really to look forward to. 
That's a lie from the Satan. That's the lie from the father of lies. And when you put on that old self over and over again, guess what happens? You behave like the old self. You've got to renew your mind. Bible says that you put on a, a new heart. Psalmist says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew the spirit that is within me. You need to renew that. You get out of bed, your desires aren't right. You say, God, give me the right desires. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You have resurrection power pumping through your soul. Unbelievers don't have that. The same power that raised Lazarus from the dead and Jesus Christ from the dead is in you. That's the power of Christ. That's what's getting you through. You'll live forever, ladies and gentlemen. So in a kind of a phrase, pop phrase, take off the old, put on the new. Let's say that together. Take off the old. There you go. Taylor Swift said the players are going to play, play, play. The haters are going to hate, hate, hate. Baby, I'm going to shake, shake, shake. I'm going to shake it off. I'm going to shake it off. She got it right there. Shake it off. So you, you got to take off the old. Let's say that together. Take off the old. Put on the new every day. Don't fall into that. You've got to make a choice. I did research on happiness recently and I found out 50%, uh, it's 50 of your happiness comes down to really a lot of the choices that you make and the people you surround yourself with. Well, let me tell you this. Um, the happiest life will be the holiest life. When you choose holiness, you're choosing happiness. Because when you're walking with your creator in design, the way he designed you, that's the pathway of holiness, living for God. But it's the happiest life. And so I want you to be that. I want you to experience it. Take off the old, put on the new. Here's another way to think about it. Remind yourself, you're like Lazarus. And here's what we're going to learn. Take off the grave clothes and put on the grace clothes. Let's say that together. Take off the grave clothes and put on the grace clothes. The Apostle Paul gave us the language of like clothing. You're going to put it on. You're going to take it off. Grave clothes are, are words, ideas, thoughts, actions, behaviors that are going to take you down. You don't dress like death every day. You should dress like for life, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Prepare yourself. Even the Apostle Paul, if you look through Ephesians, he talks about putting on the armor. Here's what I do want to remind you of. It's not all about you. Philippians 2.13 says this, It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So here's the good news. Even when you're not doing a good job at taking off and putting on and taking off and putting on, God's already at work in you. Even when you're unfaithful, he's still faithful. Even when you're unworthy, he's still worthy. And you have a deposit given to you, a financial term. Jesus paid it all. He put a deposit on your life. He gave you the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed. You've been filled. He canceled out all the debt. Jesus Christ did that. He credits your account and gives you righteousness. You have more than you deserve. You have more than you could supply. 
you have God working in you all the time. Amen? So the good news is, is just this, is that you just need to work out whatever God is working in. But if you never work it out, you're not going to have spiritual strength. You got to work out whatever he's working in. Right now, uh, in the last two services, there will be a, several hundred people that have come here today and heard this message. And you know what's amazing about our Father, our Heavenly Father? He's working in each one of your lives in a very unique way. I mean, all the details of your life, every event, every decision, every circumstance that you face, God's at work in your life. And there's a whisper in your heart and your mind, and what you got to do is follow that and live for that. But he's working in you different than the way he's working in somebody else. God's at work in you, every single one of you. Ephesians 2.10, closing out, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your work that you're working in our life. We do pray, Father, that uh, we would receive this and believe this. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.